0: Hi everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Pensions and Investments, where my guests and I will bring you up-to-date information on pension funds, securities class action litigation, and all matters related to your investment portfolio and shareholder recoveries. I am Atara Torsky, securities class action attorney in New York City. And I'm here today speaking with Len Gilroy. Len is a guest that every public pension fund needs to take notice of. Len is Vice President of Government Reform at the Reason Foundation and Senior Managing Director of Reason's Pension Integrity Project. The project aims to promote solvent, sustainable retirement systems that provide retirement security for government employees while reducing taxpayer and pension system exposure to financial risk. Len has testified before Congress on several occasions and has worked closely with state and local elected officials to reduce government spending. Len's articles have been featured in leading publications across the country, including very recently an important and thoughtful op-ed in The Wall Street Journal. Welcome, Len, to my show. How are you today?
1: I am well. Thank you for having me, Atara. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, Len, I'm really happy to have you here today because, as you know, you and I have very similar concerns for our public pension funds. My pension fund clients, my public funds, are constantly in a position of trying to increase their asset pools to meet their obligations, and I'm always, through my legal practice, working to help them do this, you know, whether it's through monitoring and filing claims and litigation if appropriate but you're actually trying to tackle the problem of underfunding from a very different angle so you're trying to help funds restructure their pension plans to address underfunding so tell me a little bit about this and and how you came to do this
1: sure no thank you for the question um so the the pension integrity project at reason Foundation I'm mean, just by way of quick background we're a think tank uh, we've been around for um, over 50 years as an organization and a Um, been engaged in research on a number of different public policy issues, including a wide range of tax and fiscal issues. And about, well, well over a decade ago, we started to notice what was happening um, in the public pension space in the US, which is sort of its unique, it's in a unique position relative to other pension funds in the US, uh, in the private sector, and also relative to peers in other countries. And what we see is rampant underfunding when we did um, uh, our first paper on pension underfunding back in, I, I believe it was around 2005, so let's just say it was roughly 15 years ago, the total aggregate unfunded across all U.S. state and local governments was about 500 million or so. Sorry, billion. Sorry, 500 billion or so. Um, and that you fast forward to the Great Recession a few years later. Um, that really you know, blew a big hole into a lot of systems that um, really in the decade plus since, um, even despite historic run-ups in the market run-ups, I'd say multiple over the last 12 years or so, um, you have systems today still sitting there. Now, we'll see what happens after this year's returns. They'll be pretty good, I'm sure, at the end of the fiscal year for lots of plans, but one good year doesn't make up for multiple decades of dealing with several concurrents concurrent problems, I guess, and and the mix for each system is a little different. So everyone, it's not that there's one universal um, situation as you know, but when we look at it, what we tend to see is when you really dig in and into the actuarial math and you you dig into the construct of the systems themselves, which are all unique and are all uniquely set up in state laws in 50 different states and many local governments, and they all have different benefits. um, What you see is a lot of variety. And what we find is that it's not that they, it's underperforming investments are typically one of the biggest factors impacting a pension system. But when you layer that on top of something, as you know, um, like for instance, in the public pension space, they tend to favor very long amortization periods for unfunded liabilities. And when you have like 30 year MO policies, meaning you're gonna take an unfunded liability and spread that payment structure out to pay that off over many decades, Um, What you what what that tends to amplify the underfunding effect that's just happening due to market underperformance, and then you throw in some other uh, mechanical mechanisms and pension systems like colas that don't respond to the, you know, to the to the solvency of the fund and and things like that, you tend to find that each system maybe has a a unique blend of structural issues, uh, much like a human body. And you have to get in there and diagnose it when you have, when something's not working right as manifest by underfunding. The underfunding is just the symptom. You need to get in there and figure out what's going on. So I guess what you could say is we tend to at the pension integrity project tend to think of ourselves as, um, you know, sort of the technicians and the diagnostic folks who can go in and and crack into that, do the, the diagnostics, kind of figure out what's going on. And, um, help policymakers, most importantly, work to change those things so that plans can right the ship and and get back on track. And so we're not out there trying to end pension systems. Some people believe that for some reason. Um, Other, you know, we're, we're, we're also not trying to just fund them as they are if they have structural issues. What we're trying to do is point to like that path forward that says, and oftentimes it's looking at some because of the severity of the issue. You're in, in a lot of places, like if you look at the, you know, especially like the Connecticuts, um, Illinois, Kentuckys, New Jerseys of the world, they tend to need maybe even a pretty important overhaul for the benefit structure for new hires um, while, you know, tending to the, the legacy such that you can ensure that every benefit that has been promised is able to be paid. So I hope that I hope that gives you.
0: Some yes. perspective. On, on <laughs> well, I want to I want to also make it like very easy to to um, understand what you're saying. Um, and I think what I really liked about what you said is that what you come in and try to do is treat not just. Um, the symptom, right? But the underlying cause. So you're treating almost holistically, right? Like, like, you know, health practitioners who say, you know, we're going to treat the body as a whole and figure out, you know, where your pain is coming from and not just isolate that and give you medicine for that problem. Would that be a correct analogy?
1: I think that's a, a, a very fair analogy. I I, I do, I, I do believe it's coming in and take, taking that more holistic approach and trying to figure out it's, it's not that it's not that, well, if only the markets would have performed well, then all, all would be well, because the markets are going to go up and down. Um, we all know that. There is no such thing as a 7% annualized return that actually happens. That's an assumption. And you hope, it, you hope the squiggly lines over time sort of blend out into that rate. And, what, and the bottom line is that it hasn't been. You know, for, for not just a year, not just five years, not just 10 years, but really a long term, you know, a, basically about a, what we've seen is a, a, a pretty pronounced 20 year decline in large part, as you know, and all your listeners, you know, who, who watch this space knows we've had a major change in global interest rates over the last 20 years. And that and, and the systems, the pension systems that, that we tend to deal with in the public sector were really built for an era design-wise built for an era when you could go out and hit an 8% plus return every year or on average, you know, and, and it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, you could invest in, in safe bonds and get, you know, decent, you know, high single digit returns or something like back in the seventies, eighties, you could do that. And so you didn't see these systems having those issues back then. And when you start to see one, piece of the global economic puzzle changed dramatically, it really, you know, threw the a lot of public plans into a tizzy, but not all of them. And so what we tend to do is look at, well, what is Wisconsin doing? And what have they been doing for decades to basically stay fully funded? And they and they have a system that adjusts and is resilient. When you look at South Dakota retirement system or North Carolina retirement or the teacher and state employee system, um, a few others out there have mechanisms that are kind of built in to self-correct. And so what we tend to do is um, oftentimes because of the unique legal nature of of sort of the protection of of public um, pension benefits, which are constitutionally protected once promised, they're going to be paid pretty much no matter what, absent some sort of unique bankruptcy type, municipal bankruptcy type situation. That It just, it behooves policymakers to, you know, effectively find out how to, solve the problems they've got while sort of adjusting the plan designs for new hires, you, 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 you know, it's really, you, you're not going to be making changes really with public employees that are sitting there today for the most part. You may have a, a little bit of flex on things like rates and, and, and things like that, contribution rates, I mean. But really what we tend to, we tend to talk about, use a metaphor of treating the public pension situation, and again, not everywhere, but it's in the places that are having what today is added up to about Oh, just short shy of maybe a one and a half trillion now of unfunded pension liabilities. Um, what what we tend to find is is that um, if you can treat it like a chemical spill or an oil spill, the analogy is pretty apt because you you have sort of an immediate problem, which is there's some structural mechanism that is causing underfunding to ratchet up, and and so that's kind of the first thing you do in an oil spill is you cap the spill to stop the gusher you know, from from sort of continuing. And then you have after that um, sort of a lot of mess on the ground to deal with and to clean up. And that takes a long time. That's a long slog. And if you think about one and a half trillion of unfunded liabilities out there across public governments, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a long slog to get through. So what we're trying to do is basically cap the spill and to allow then the legacy unfunded, um, you know, to be to be cleaned up, meaning paid for, um, and benefits to be ultimately fully delivered.
0: So using the analogy of the oil spill, the oil spill is different, I think is what you're saying, in, in different plants. Is that correct? It's it's something that is not uniformly the same. That's
1: totally correct. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I mean, and, and you can see just quick example, you know, Texas, the state of Texas just passed a major reform. Um, where they're all of their state employees and law enforcement officers at the state level, meaning like, you know, their Department of Public Safety um, troopers um, are going to go. New hires starting, I believe, in 2022 are going to be moving into a new cash balance plan. It's a it's a for those not aware. I mean, I think most of your listeners are. But for those who aren't aware of cash balance plans, it's sort of a it's a it's a type of pension that brings effectively for the employer um, lower risk, um, you know, for, through various mechanisms. And, and so effectively new employees are still gonna get a pension. They're gonna get a guaranteed benefit, right? Um, it's gonna look a little different than the one today. And at the same, oh, and the reason they're doing this is because they have been structurally underfunding that this pension system for decades. And they, they literally had a cap in, have a cap until recently in state law that said you can only put in X percent of your payroll to put into this system. And that turned out to be nowhere close to enough to actually fund the plan properly. So you just had this systematic underfunding where they're putting a little bit of money and the unfunded just grows every year. And so basically they're putting their retirement benefits for the entire state on a credit card and not even making really the minimum payment. And so that happened for two decades, and, and so you know the, the reform that they are have enacted is not only a new plan for new hires, that's capping the spill, new folks going into an, a, a more sustainable, risk managed new plan, while they then for the next thirty years they're going to be putting in well over five hundred million dollars a year for thirty years straight to just actuarially pay off the legacy that's there today, and when you look at that. That dynamic is very different than a state that maybe had under, uh, like underperforming market type issues and in their investment performance. You know, maybe hit the skids, or you know, just they, you know, chose wrong. You know, in retrospect, as 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 we can all armchair quarterback afterwards. Um, and so those are those are just those would be two different types of of problems. One is a structural problem where you're just not putting in enough money, so they may underperform. And that may happen, but it's gonna gonna get amplified by the other structural issues. Whereas maybe if you had a plan that is able to, like the ones I mentioned, like in Wisconsin and others, where they are meant to correct and adjust, and even in Wisconsin, the benefit flexes depending on the solvency of the fund. So they have a different construct. They still get a pension, they still get a guaranteed benefit, but the way the employees think of it, the way it's designed is just a little bit different. And sometimes those real subtle differences in design—I mean, actually, I would say most of the time, those real subtle differences in, dev- in design um, are really the key to whether a system is going to be successfully, you know, sort of resilient over the long term or not.
0: Right. So interesting. So you know, I'm thinking of somebody like my dad, who was a New York City um, teacher um, and had a pension fund, and that was really, really important to him. And I'm wondering, you know, a lot of public um, employees, they take the job right in part because of their guaranteed benefits. Is restructuring going to change the workforce and the quality of the workforce?
1: I think the uh, what we're seeing is that the workforce has sort of shifted over time and I mean I think there was definitely an, an era um, you know a generation or generations where you know it, there was a pretty straightforward you know thought process about, you know, you, maybe you wanted to go into public safety or be a teacher or into some type of public service, you know, there was sort of the, you know, well, you can go work for, for the public sector and, you know, have a decent job and you get a great retirement. And that was a, a sort of, um, I'd say it was sort of a mantra out there in, in, the, in the workforce for, for decades. And again, as things start, I think when you sort of hit the turn of the century, and you see some major generational changes, and I, I don't claim to be an expert on the, the evolving workforce, but I think what we've seen just from survey data and just you can kind of observationally see it everywhere um, is that just as you see more sort of professional mobility happening out there generationally in the younger you know, sort of generations um, that are kind of entering the workforce. Um, that, I mean, I, the way I'd say maybe express that would be You know, a a college grad today entering the workforce probably is going to be working like a handful of jobs over the next decade, you know, which is way more than, you know, if you rewind 50 years, um, that is not the way that things worked. I mean, you have a much more mobile professional workforce today across all sectors. And so the public sector now, there is no inherent, you know, I, I would say that the younger generations today exiting college aren't talking about a pension. If you ask them what's like, ask them what a pension is, and they'll say, I have no idea what you're talking about. So the, the, the mental sort of notional um, pull to the public sector, I don't think exists in the same way it does. You don't go to the public sector to get a pension anymore. You go to the public sector because you want to be a public servant. And so you're motivated by teaching, you're motivated by public service in some way or another whether that's being elected to your school board or, or you know, um, uh, going to the training academy and becoming a firefighter. I mean, one of those, you know, many of those paths are, the, all the same paths are still there today, but you know, I think the pull and the attractiveness, and then the like, governments are, ha- because people are more fluid coming in and out of the public and private sectors, so to speak, governments, if your retirement benefit is really anchored to that 50 year old model, then what you're basically saying is we don't really care about you from a retirement security perspective like basically let me say this differently a government today if you were going to get into a traditional you know work for 25 year you know to get a full pension kind of situation um, i would argue that that is a poor way to serve probably about 80% of your workforce from a retirement security perspective because that 80% are not sticking around for 25 years. In fact, when we look at pension data specifically, what the system actuaries assume, that's the real data. I mean, when you get down to it, that's what matters. This is what the systems themselves assume based on reality. Pretty much somewhere between 50 to 80% of any batch of people hired by governments are not gonna stick around to even the initial five-year vesting point in the public sector, much less 25 years. So if you have a system built for people who are effectively lifers in public service and that's not the trend, then basically what you have is a system kind of poorly serving a lot of the workforce, you know, who's not getting that benefit or leaving early and then leaving money on the table effectively because they don't get the full benefit of the employer money. And um, and then I, I guess the other thing is that, you know, and that, that, but I think just to to so that may, might lead some to say, well, then you're saying don't offer a pension, and that's not it either. Like a cash balance plan, you can do that. And and all we say is, look, if you want to offer a pension, a cash balance plan, a hybrid, a DC plan, whatever type of construct you want to offer, just be willing to make it a solid retirement security benefit. So that, like, meaning it's not skimpy, like a you know an attractive benefit. And that it's there, that you have something that can serve people effectively while they are working. And that, so in one great way to do that is choices. You could have a choice between like a more portable cash balance or even a defined contribution type plan. You have good, make sure it's a good primary plan. That's got good contribution rates, gonna have good retirement security with it, good investment options and all that. And that could be there for the people, even as a default perhaps, for the people who aren't gonna work for 25 years, but you could have that option, of a, of a risk managed pension or a cash balance type plan or a hybrid or something that has that guarantee. And if you could let people have some period where they could make one decision and switch. I mean, you, we've built those systems, I guess. This is nothing fantastical or crazy. I mean, this is actually the entire teacher workforce in Michigan is under this kind of choice model that I just mentioned as a result of a 2018 reform. Every teacher hired in the state of Michigan over the last couple of years has entered a system where they default into a DC plan, um, but if they want, they can choose a risk managed pension benefit and the option is sitting there. And others are starting to embrace that um, kind of construct as well. State of Pennsylvania, Arizona, public safety, a number of places out there. So some really neat stuff happening to to, to really kind of hone in on the question you asked about the workforce.
0: Yeah, because I think um, what you're saying is it's almost easier to do this now than ever, because the new hires are just more flexible in what they want professionally and even in their way of thinking. So this just becomes easier for governments to enact and for public pension funds to to make this change.
1: Well, I would never I would probably the word easy in uh, in terms of pension changes in the public sector, I would never use that (laughs) word, probably. Um, these are very difficult things. And I mean, and you can understand why that even, I mean, there is a trillion plus of unfunded liabilities nationally. And when you go into a state, you know, uh, and, and you kind of pull out their slice of that and start talking about it. Um, it's easy to get people nodding their heads about the math and going, okay, yeah, we agree. There's a problem, right? Yep. There's a problem. And then you start talking about solutions. And then the people move off to their corners you know and you have the employee side i I mean frankly the way some politicians talk about it if i were on the employee side i would go to the corner too you know and if i and you know conversely there's sort of the the, uh sort of taxpayer um side which you know also has some very legitimate gripes because i think just for your audience to understand it you know this is not it's not like in the private sector where you know basically companies are on the hook for pensions. And, you know, if, well, if the company goes bankrupt, you know, well, maybe you have a, you know, sort of backstop option like PBGC. But, you know, I mean, there, there can be very real retirement disasters in the private sector that ERISA and kind of that body of law around it were designed to address. Effectively, back in the 70s and 80s, Congress, you know, was trying to make sure that this this kind of dynamic that's happening right now in the public sector didn't happen in the private sector, and so they built a whole body of law that I'm sure you and all of your listeners are very, very intimately familiar with. That doesn't exist on the public side, right? There is really no oversight, pretty much whatsoever, outside of some, uh, you know, stick accounting standards and you know that sort of thing, which you know I, I don't, I don't wouldn't diminish. But um, we, you know, basically, there is no control out there uh, that uh, that provides a gate. To, to checking this kind of um, situation, so it becomes fragmented political negotiations <laughs> to solve a one trillion plus dollar problem, and that you know that's just fraught with um, all kinds of the, the politics and the emotion and the fear, and you know it, this is complicated technical stuff, but to get there, you have to really crack through you know people's fear, you know, an emotional energy yes, around I agree. retirement. It's really hard. And it sounds like actuaries nerd out on this all the time and they make it sound, Oh, you have unfunded liabilities on, your, you know, <laughs> you kind of make it all sound very wonky and nerdy, but like, there's a retiree sitting in the back I of the room. I always say
0: that, right? Right. They're sitting. Right. There when going, I speak what are you to my about- clients, I, that's what exactly what I always say to them is like, you know, behind every single fund that I work with, right, are people with retirement money, and attached to that retirement money are various things, you know, hopes, dreams, security, insecurity, and those are things that need to be addressed when talking about any kind of reform, because if you're going to make Any sort of meaningful change, you have to really understand that there are real people behind this system.
1: That's absolutely right. And so we we have a uh, the Pension Integrity Project that that I work with. We 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 to to sort of target that exact point. We wanted to make sure that um, when when an elected official or or a stakeholder, a pensioner, or a active member. You know, when we're talking with anyone and they say, what are you here for? What are you trying to do? We've, we figured, well, we could kind of, you know, improvise that sort of, we could say the same thing over and over again, in different ways, or we can write it down into one statement of principle. And when we did that, the, the principles of like what good or objectives, I should say, of what good pension reform is from our perspective, the number one, there's several, but number one is make sure that you live up to the promises that you've offered. Um, that's not only a constitutional and legal um, reality that you are going to confront, it's a moral one. And, you know, no matter I don't care where people come from the political spectrum, whether you like government, don't like government or what have you, but you, you can fight about whether somebody's government job should exist. But once that decision has been made, and then it's that individual going to get hired and they sign the paperwork, getting hired, you know, to, to join the pension system. And you say, well, if you work for 25 years, we're going to give you two and a half percent times your final salary times the number of years you credit service you work, and and that number is, is how you base your whole framework for thinking about your life in retirement, and where you're going to travel, you know, and what you're going to do with your kids and all. Um, that's a real thing. I mean, so you that is number one. You promise that you're going to live up to it, pretty much no matter what. From a, I mean, if the courts are going to make you do it, even if your moral compass doesn't guide you there inherently. Right. And so from there, we say, look, it doesn't mean you can make the exact same promise to everyone in the future, but you made that one. And so what we try to look at is, right. How do you, how do you live up to the promises while making sustainable ones for the future? There's lots of ways to do that. Those are policy decisions and really employer, you know, employee, what do you want? What are you trying to achieve? And pretty much you can build any system to do it, but to your fundamental point, you know, outside all the, you know, amortization schedules and discount rates and mortality tables and all that nonsense. <laughs> Underneath that are hundreds of thousands of retirees in, in any given retirement system going, what are you guys doing? <laughs> You're fixing what? Wait, how did you, underfunded? What does that mean for me? You know, right. And um, I, I say that with some, you know, personal knowledge. I, I have a family member who, you know, is, is in, one of the systems is a retiree, and one of the systems that you know uh, we had the opportunity to, to try to course correct and uh, and 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 worked on. And so I remember just hearing from my own family, you know, some when I was talking about the underfunding and which was tens of billions of dollars in a in a in a in a in a, in a major pension system. Um, my family member was sort of saying, "What? I don't know about that." And I was thinking, "How does how?" <laughs> How do we live in a world where a system could be sitting on billions of dollars of underfunding, not really be communicating that to the members, and that not be a thing? And so we just say, hey, t- treat it like, again, you, you brought a great analogy to, to medicine. And I think going back to medicine, look, if, if you're feeling a pain in your side, go get it checked out. Go get to a good doctor, get it checked out, and go to someone who can figure out if, 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 if it's just that or if... There's, right. something There's something bigger else. going on, right? Right, and be holistic about it, and then be honest and go for it. And and sometimes you can't sometimes solve it all at once. Solve what you can, and keep keep moving forward. So sometimes you see big actions. Sometimes you see lots of sequences of small, iterative reforms, which tends to reflect folks getting comfortable engaging each other and you know slowly working through problems. We're fine any of those ways, just as long as you start moving the direction because. It's not going to serve taxpayers well, you know, because the other side of this is that if you care about the public sector, you should, meaning you care about kids getting education in schools or you know, roads getting paved and potholes getting filled and that sort of thing, then when you have an unchecked public pension underfunding problem, which we have, what tends to happen often, not every time, but most of the time, is that you got to start paying that. You know, the the you're paying it down, you 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 kind of get on this automatic amortization schedule where you're kind of kicking in more money every year to start paying off that debt. And what happens is that if that just goes unchecked and you just assume it's all going to work and it doesn't, then it starts to crowd out money from you you start having the department of the past crowding out the department of the future. So money is going out the door to come to pay for just debt on pension liabilities. In public schools, instead of going into the classroom to teach the future. And so, that, you know, if it, if you can, if, if it happens for a year or two, you can probably get through it and, and correct it and navigate it. But it keeps going for a while, you get into a really um, uh, problematic decline. So, anyway, these are real issues that, that affect not just the members, not just the systems, but also the taxpayer at the end and the, and the public at large.
0: Len gave us so much great information for our public funds, we decided we had to keep talking. So stay tuned next week as Len Gilroy and I continue our conversation on public pension reform.